Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Hi, and welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening and tuning in as always. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Alex Wilson. Alex is a colleague of mine at Remax Condos Plus. He's one of the top um, real estate agents in the city, and, and his specialty is the downtown condo market on the resale side of things, whereas I'm obviously focused on working with investors in pre-construction. Alex does some of that as well, but um, he is just a master and an expert and really has a, a pulse on what's happening in the resale uh, market in, in the core of Toronto. We actually go way back, Alex and I, funny enough, we first met um, almost 20 years ago now. It's hard to believe, as around 18 years ago or so, when we were um, when we were both doing our very first co-op work term in university. So we go way back and through uh, interesting, you know, a series of events, we both ended up on different paths, but sort of in the same result, uh, focusing and working in the downtown real estate market. So Alex and I, um, we often have these conversations. The thing I thought, you know what, Alex, let's get on the get you on the podcast. Let's have this converse, these kind of conversations, and let other people hear it. I think you got some great insights into what's happening in the real estate market. So, especially in the resale market, um, Alex is is such an expert there. So, what's happening in resale, and and what kind of uh, amazing things that he's seeing as you hear about that and just the the incredible demand and lack of supply in the downtown real estate market it's very interesting and rental market we got into that um refinancing working with investors just a whole bunch of different topics we covered on this conversation now one thing i'll just say in advance i apologize for the poor audio quality on this recording unfortunately um hit the wrong button on my uh recording device and so uh the audio Um, It came through, but it just didn't come through um, in the normal, typical higher quality. But I think you should be able to still hear everything that we're saying on the podcast and uh, appreciate you bearing with us uh, as as we uh, dealt with that little technical glitch. But the content and everything I think is great. You would really enjoy it. So um, without further ado, here is my interview with Alex Wilson. Yeah, so we are live. What, uh, Alex? How you doing? What are you seeing? Uh, what are you seeing on the streets these days? Want to hear stories? What's going on? What What are you uh, What are you seeing in the resale market these days? Yeah, so we we get a lot of confusing messages in the media, and I think it's important to outline that I sell condos in downtown. And when you look at statistical data, my background is economics and finance, um, which has a strong statistical uh, set of knowledge and how we were taught. So we look at the purity of data sets when you're analyzing. So when you see things in the media talking about the Canadian real estate, when you hear about the real estate market in the greater Toronto area, when you hear about the real estate market in the Toronto area, when you hear about the condos in the Toronto area, detached homes or freehold homes, you have to go to the very specific data set to make sure the data set is pure when you're analyzing things. So when we look at the downtown condo market, you can even go down deeper into when you're analyzing things, well, what's impacting the downtown condo market? So 
when we look at downtown and what we're starting to see a rise in, we're seeing a rise in the multiple offers on condo properties downtown. And one of the reasons for that is that there is still a supply issue on these condos. And why it's starting to ramp up now is that last year is when we had the implementation of the stress. And when the stress test came into play, the market needed time to adapt and figure out what was going on. So that's where he saw a slowdown in the market and a significant slowdown in areas surrounding the greater Toronto area. But the core still managed to chug along. Now, what we're reaching is about that six to eight month, 10 month turnaround time since the stress test was implemented. The market has adjusted. And now we're seeing people are like, well, I have to get back into the market now. The stress test isn't significantly impacting. I'm going to buy. And the condo wise is the affordable entry level option. And now we're seeing the jump in prices because we have a limited supply of these condos on the market. So on one bedroom units, on two bedroom units, we're seeing not just one or two offers. In, in recent weeks, as recently as last week, we're seeing 14 offers on a property, 12 offers on a property. And where yeah. my comparable analysis I'm getting blown out of the water in regards to where the numbers are going. I'm seeing if I if I value something at um, in a specific case, I value something yeah. at seven fifty to seven seven hundred and sixty. Uh, there are fourteen offers on the property, and it ended up selling for eight hundred and twenty thousand. And I based mine on market comparables, factoring in different um, increases in valuation and everything like that. So we're seeing a rapid increase, but it's still affordable. So what the stress test does. It puts a cap on how high individuals can go no matter what. And based on a, they have to qualify at the benchmark rate, which is over 5%. So now, regardless, I can't afford to buy the freehold house as a certain individual. So I'm so just for, just for context, like downtown core, mm -hmm. if somebody comes to you, you're working with resale buyers yeah. all the time, mm -hmm. houses, condos in the downtown core mm -hmm. primarily. What... Like, what's a realistic budget for a, uh, a decent move-in, a bull house in the core, would you say, right now? A core freehold house? Freehold, yeah. Oh, freehold, it still depends on the area, right? Right. Um, kind of range. But, but, if, but if we're looking at like, core-wise... Like, you say that, con, like, you know, we hear this a lot, condos are the affordable option. They're mm -hmm. still much cheaper than yep. uh, houses. So can you just give people some context in terms of... Oh, of course. Like, if you're looking at a house, you need about this much. Versus yeah, so, so, if you're looking at a condo, you can get a great condo for this much. So I guess the easiest way is, because um, again, every neighborhood's different in regards to what you're looking for in a house-wise. Every house is different. So I'll just put it in, in simple terms. If I had a million dollars, if I could spend a million dollars, well, a million dollars isn't really going to get me a quality freehold house. And why I use the million dollar work? And a million dollars, I need to put 20% down on a property. It doesn't matter what it is. Million dollar purchase price, I have to put 20% down. So that's $200,000. Yeah. Then if I factor in a double land transfer tax and legal fees, I'm at $240,000 and a million dollar purchase in order just to buy that property. Of $240,000 of after tax dollars. Wait, people have to pay tax in this country? 
Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. So how no, many... Why does no one think about taxes? I mean, you and I, were, we're entrepreneurs, we run businesses, but most people out there, they do not think uh, about taxes and they don't, don't think in terms of before tax, after tax dollars. Yeah. So, so if you do the math and look, look, look at, and anyone's listening to this, do your salary, do, do your, look at your salaries right now. And how long would it take you to save 240000 after tax? Right. So after you spent all, all, <laughs> like, all, all your expenses of running your household, yeah. how long would it take you to save $240,000? And that's just to get you the minimum million dollar purchase price. Well, guess what? Go look at MLS right now. What are you getting for a million dollars in Toronto? In a lot of neighborhoods, that's just land value in regards to uh, tear down the bungalow and build, build, build a new house. We've got job. So, so now, so not only do we need $240,000, now we also have to qualify on that higher price point. And people aren't able to do that. So you now may say, like you may have a little light bulb above your head going, oh, amazing, that means freehold houses in Toronto, they're going to go down. Alex is saying there's less demand, people can't afford them. But guess what, guys? They're also not building more freehold houses in Toronto. There are no freehold houses to be built in Toronto. Actual new supply inventory coming on, increasing the supply. Not only that, the supply of freehold houses in Toronto is decreasing. Why is it decreasing? Well, we get these higher density projects where we'll knock down a block of houses and we'll put a higher density project in, whether it's um, condo stack towns or maybe an eight-story building or even a, even a taller condo tower. So I think decreasing supply of the freehold properties in the city of Toronto and, and more going into the core of Toronto. So we have a decreasing supply of those. Yes, demand has been tempered a little bit by the fact that, okay, there's a lack of affordability, but we have a lot of people that are coming, migrating, immigrating to Toronto. So we still have an increasing demand and still a decreasing supply. So freehold houses aren't going down in value. So the only option for people to move into is condos. Now when we get into condos in the core, and that's where we're seeing the most rapid increases of prices. Andrew, didn't we have something in the news today about our commute in Toronto? I what we ranked? I didn't see that. What was that? <laughs> so, oh, you didn't see that? No. Oh, so Toronto, uh, the Greater Toronto Area, was ranked the worst commute in North America and the sixth worst commute in the world. What? <laughs> the world, wow. In the world. Okay. In the world, our commuting commute is, is the worst. So now it comes to an equation of, okay, um, I can have, I can keep on going further and further out to get that freehold property that fits in my budget, that idea of the white picket fence, but I am going to sacrifice quality of life for that because I'm going to be spending a significant time in my day anywhere between an hour to an hour and a half each way so we calculate that's two to two and two to three hours a day in my car commuting wise or I can or I can give up my dream of the white picket fence and live somewhere between a 10 to 15 minute work and if you're willing to give that up you get to increase your quality of life mm -hmm. and spend more time with your family and that's what people are realizing now. They want to be close to work and they, and they don't want to have that commute. And the commute is only going to get worse right. before we get better. Because there is no new infrastructure coming to move people from point A to point B. And now we're seeing crazy bidding wars on condos. 
and they're just going to keep on. So let's have any more specific examples. I know you've been yep. you've been texting me the past mm -hmm. couple of weeks. Check out this crazy sale. I mm -hmm. can't believe it. Look at this one over mm -hmm. here. Um, you mentioned that one earlier that you thought was based on comparables. It was around seven fifty. Yeah, and it went for. Well, that, that, that was actually, there was a one plus dead unit uh, where the comparables were lower at, at 710 and it sold for over eight. In the, the comparables in, in were the 710, it sold yeah. for over 800. This was, so what building eight. was that? Uh, Can't see the building. No, well, no I, don't, I don't want to get in trouble with the Rico. Hey guys, sorry. It's, it's, What's it, 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 it hasn't closed yet, so it's not public record knowledge. Okay. What's that, the? It's, it's in the. I can say it's in, I can say it's in the uh, the King West area, close to King and uh, right. Um, King and Portland. Okay. And, so prime King West. Yeah, prime prime King, prime King West area. A one plus den. A one uh, plus a one bedroom. Plus den. Plus den. Selling north north of north of eight hundred thousand. One bath or two. One bath. One bathroom. One bath. Over eight hundred. Eight eight what? I was uh, low eight, so probably, I think it was like eight ten, eight twenty, something around eight. Right. Um, and you had twelve offers. Twelve on. offers. So that means there's eleven people out there who are still looking. So they're still looking. Yeah. And and people may again be going like, oh, but there's so many cranes in the sky, that kind of thing. And, and Andrew, as you know, and, and I know, um. It takes a long time from when a project initially sells to when a project get built, gets built. Typically, four to five years of that turnaround time. So there's no new inventory that's coming on for four to five years until a new project and one of those cranes are in the sky from when an initial launch happens. Right. What you also know is that these new projects that are launching, the unit sizes are smaller, smaller. And smaller. Mm -hmm. And it's not the developer's fault. The developers are not evil people. They have to sell a certain percentage of units before they can break ground on their project. Well, prices have gone up. Yes. So they have to cater to their investors. And in order to cater to investor budgets, they just have to build the smaller units in order to get the sales to in order to green light construction financing. And now with changes to the the actual approval process to actually get buildings built. And I'm sure you've had builders on this podcast in the past going, it is a nightmare to get a project to put through right now. Uh, yeah, our sure. approval times are longer. Than ever, yeah. Which costs us more money. Um, we're not getting the density we need, which leads to higher prices in regards to what we have to sell our eventual unit, units at. So now we're going to have a slowdown actually in the number of units that are going to be coming on in the future, which will all put more constraint on our supply in the condo market in the court, and we will get higher prices and higher rental values, which is very important for everyone to listen to on here. Yeah, I know you, you're, you and your team do a ton of rentals. You, you rentals, work with rents. a lot of our investors as well. Rents um, are What are you seeing in the rental side? So rents are through the roof. So if I'm an investor and I'm, I'm a landlord, I'm looking my asset, and I see rents going through the roof. Well, I don't want to sell my unit. My unit's going up in value, and when my rent's going up, I'm covering my cost. So why would I sell this asset? I'm only selling the asset if it's not performing for me, but with increasing rents and increasing values, I'm going to hold on to my asset. Because I'm holding on to my asset, that asset isn't going back into the resale pool. So that also constrains the supply. And Andrew, we were, I, we were talking this week, 
So I'm going to give a specific area. E1. E1 may yeah. mean nothing to you guys on this podcast, but our categories of different neighborhoods when we search on, on MLS are, are given a specific code. E1 is basically comprises of your Leslieville neighborhood up into Riverdale. So basically a dead fourth uh, south to the, to the lake up into, I think, up into Woodbine or maybe it's Coxwell or Carlock. Right. Something, yeah. something along yeah. those lines. Um, it's a big, it's a big area, and you're you're east of the DVP. So basically, DVP to I think Woodbine, it, it could it could be Coxwell. Actually, it's Coxwell. It's DVP to Coxwell to Danforth to the lake, large area, comprising yeah. many different neighborhoods. This week, when you and I talked on the phone, I think on Monday, there were twelve condo listings. That's it. Twelve. Twelve, 12 condo listings available for total. sale in That's the it. entire east side of Toronto, essentially. Downtown if that's any indication in regards to the supply issues, um, there you have it right there. And it's so attractive for landlords to hold on to their units right now. Would they sell? Um, and another thing, a landlord will also be looking at going, okay, the, this mortgage I have on this property, it's, I'm already set. But because of the stress test, it may be difficult for me to qualify for more, for more mortgages. So if I disperse, if I disperse this condo, I may not be able to get another mortgage on my next condo. That's a good point. So yeah. I can't sell this because I can't get, I can't replace it with a new condo because I can't get a mortgage on that condo. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep it. And right. This, this is this is performing well for me. That's a good point. Yeah, it's something actually I haven't really looked at that angle, but the stress test as an inhibitor to supply in the sense that people who own the assets, landlords in particular, they're looking at their assets, they're saying, well. I, got, I would like to sell this one property and then maybe buy two or three more with the proceeds. Now they're thinking, you know what? It's going to be hard for me to get a mortgage on these other units. So I'll just sit. I'm just sitting pretty. I'll just yeah. sit here and, and because they, not they, sell. They, they, can't re, they can't re-enter the market because they can't get the mortgage on the property. They can keep their legacy mortgages on their existing properties, but they can't re-enter and reinvest that money to continue to in the, the market just having a mortgage now is like an asset <laughs> like, that's a great way to put it yes having have, a mortgage is, is an asset don't right let now. go of your asset one of your assets is just having a mortgage as an investor especially if you have multiple properties um, try getting a mortgage today it's much harder than it was so if you've got mortgages already and you've got good properties keep you know hold on to those mortgages 100% and as you know the way it works, it doesn't matter how much money you make in regards to uh, getting a mortgage wise. You may look at people going, I make this much money. Once you start re- reaching a threshold of a number of units, it does get increasingly difficult to get mortgage for those properties. Is it still possible? Yes, it's still possible. But it becomes a barrier and some people don't want to deal with the stress of hitting, hitting that barrier wise. They want to live a, live a life. Um, so, yeah, the mortgage becomes an asset, the ability to get a mortgage becomes an asset, uh, but it also becomes an inhibitor in regards to uh, people wanting to sell their assets because once those individuals exit the real estate market, they don't get to participate anymore because they can't um, resupply that unit back by, going, by contributing to the, the economy. So the, the only way that things move is when the, the wheels get greased and the wheels aren't getting greased right now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just leading to... There's so much crisis. friction. Right, the government, all this crap that the government's layered on from you know over the last decade, from 
extra land transfer taxes to you know skyrocketing development levies to stress tests to you know you name it um it's all it's all inflationary and it's all friction that's added to the process that's you know it's it's just like like a tightening vice grip on the whole real estate market particularly in downtown course just you know people just it's discouraging people from transacting it's discouraging people from moving it's discouraging rent control of course discouraging tenants from moving it just it's so much friction that they've added as opposed to the free market system you know less regulation less rules less taxation which allows money uh, to move more freely it's done the exact opposite and it's just everything is just getting tighter and tighter oh yeah and, and, and let's go back to the the tightening and the uh, getting a mortgage in the asset okay so the the idea of the stress test was to Canadian households are too indebted. We want to protect Canadians from themselves. So we're going to limit their, limit their boarding capacity on buying uh, this asset. Guys, you got to realize that there's two, diff- there's two different things. There's leverage and there's debt. Debt is when you are using other people's money, which is the bank's money, to purchase a non-income-making asset that does not make you money, cost you money. That's, that's debt. Leverage is when you use other people's money, aka the bank's money, invest it in something that's going to make you a return. That's leverage. There is a clear difference between the two. So when you hear this indebtedness of Canadian households, they are including leverage debt in those equations, which it should not be because that leverage, that leverage, I shouldn't say leverage yet, because that leverage is being included in the debt equation, but that leverage is making other people money. It is not a burden on those households balance books. So now let's see what the stress has done. Who is it? Who has it hurt? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's look at the salaried individuals that are in great professions around this. Um, but have eventually a cap our nurses, our teachers, all these individuals that have went into these great professions, mm-hmm. now you have capped their ability to participate in the real estate market because they can't qualify for the mortgage to purchase this property. So you have now hurt their ability to move forward in life because they cannot participate in the real estate market to increase their overall net worth because they're forced to rent because they can't get a mortgage on on a condo in the greater Toronto area because they're not um, they don't qualify for that so now they become perpetual renters now they meet, now they meet a partner and they, they they still can't afford to buy buy a property in that partner they have they have a child and because they didn't enter the market before previously yeah. they, they still don't have the down payment to raise a child in some sort of household, so they're, they're, they're still renting, or they're being pushed farther or farther, which is, which is impacting their quality of life. What people have to realize is that initial first property they buy becomes a down payment for all their sequential purchases after the fact, years down the road, through appreciation and equity pay down. But if you are capping an individual's ability to afford that asset, then they cannot get into the market, and now you limit their ability to increase their wealth through real estate transactions and upgrade their real estate portfolios down the road. And, and it's truly a disservice 
to all those individuals because it takes a while to save up that down payment. So if you're, you're capping these individuals, they are going to make more money and they are going to be able to pay down their mortgage, but you're not allowing them to participate in the market because you've created an artificial barrier where they have to qualify at in order yeah. to get that mortgage. That's like Brad Lamb's been saying as well. Um, you know, this, this is the only place in the world. Ontario's, or Canada's the only place in the world with this stress test, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's like this, it's just this artificial government decided you have to qualify at this imaginary rate, which you may or may not ever actually have to pay, most likely not. Um, again, it's just, it's unprecedented. It's truly bizarre, and it's really impacting and hurting a lot of people. And like you said, it's, it's holding people back. It's holding people back from getting on with their lives. It's holding people back from, you know, being more established financially, uh, having more security, um, just moving ahead. It's just, just, you know, the, just the cornerstone of any capitalist society is just the ability to, you know, have goals, to move forward, to continue to grow, to build equity in this case. Um, and yeah, it's really, uh, it's really a shame. What do you think, like, hypothetical, if, like, magic wand, you can just, you just wave your magic wand and, and took away the stress test instantly the stress test just went away what do you think would be the impact in the market like what where would the money flow to would, would everybody suddenly uh flood to the, to the low-rise market again away from condos or no condos are still a condo. you probably have a flood partially to the low-rise market but condos are a lifestyle and condos still offer a level of affordability so i don't think you're going to see you wouldn't see a drastic drop off of, of condo sales because again it gets to the point going I still need to put 20% down on that million dollar household so you're, you're, you're still going to be at a level going people can't afford to get into that million dollar press property because they don't have that 20% down payment right. uh, to get into to that, that asset class at, at, at that level that's okay I, I, don't, I don't have an issue with, with that 20% down payment. Do you have an issue with 20% down for a million dollar price point? In terms of... Qualifying, yeah, minimum down payment. Minimum down payment. I think it's a good idea. I yeah. mean, I, I think people should have options to do what they want, but mm-hmm. it's obviously prudent to... You know, yeah. 20% is a, is a good goal for most people to work towards, but the problem is that, like you said, it's... And, and what, How long does it take most people to... Oh, exactly. It, t- it takes a significant amount of time. But what it, what it does, it, it still... It, it creates some sort of artificial threshold, but it, it is securing someone in regards, against some sort of downturn because you do have... Uh, you're you're not going cushion. underwater got a big regards, if there's some sort of price, price downturn. Yeah. Now, it's okay for people to live in condos because on the other end of the condo-wise... That's where we look at those other non-monetary factors in regards to length of commute lives, quality of life, uh, proximity to work. When you're downtown right now, it's not just condos going up. It's office towers, commercial as well. Businesses are consolidating, corporations, companies are consolidating their operations into the downtown core because they realize that's a central point where people can easily get to and then you can disperse from that location. We look at the new CIBC towers that are going right, going up beside Union Station. CIBC is consolidating 15,000 employees into the downtown core into those two towers. Ontario Teachers Pension Plan just a couple of weeks ago, they announced their new commercial tower. They're consolidating all their office space to Simcoe and Front Street. They're building a new 46-story office tower there. So we're seeing a consolidation of businesses 
a moving away from from many many different office spaces into a singular location into the downtown core. So it comes around to communability uh, and infrastructure. The two issues beyond government intervention uh, in regards to mortgage qualification and, and rent controls and those kind of things are supply and infrastructure. And you need to solve those two issues uh, before you're going to see any alleviation in regards to the current circumstances they're in. But guess what? That's not an easy thing to fix. No. And infrastructure is going to be at least a 10-year build-out time yeah. before they decide to do something. Hey, and guess what? Have we decided what we're doing with the Scarborough subway extension yet? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm for or against the Scarborough subway yeah, extension. Been, we've it's been yet, debating it for four years, I think. Exactly. Just All it is is subway an, versus LRT, an yeah. inability to get things done. Again, not supporting, not against. Subway extension, it just shows a lack of ability to actually get things done and move things forward. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we are today. Yeah. And meanwhile, every year, you've got you know, over 100,000 people coming into the GTA. While, while we sit around, you know, four years of debating Scarborough, well, there's another you know, 500,000 people since we started debating Scarborough that moved into the GTA. So it's just... It just continues to get worse. And I want to give a shout out to someone too, because you mentioned him earlier. I think everyone should just listen uh, or follow Brad J. Lamb, because he really yeah. does have some insightful things. Follow him on Twitter or Facebook yeah. um, or sign up for his newsletter, because I, I really do like reading his stuff. Do you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he's Brad's man. Of mm-hmm. course. He's, he's been proven right on so many of the issues so many times over the years. He's, he's a great guy to follow. Um, another subject I know you're very passionate about, you, you really do a great job um, like doing it yourself but also teaching your clients how to do it as well and that's around refinancing mm-hmm. when it comes to investment properties mm-hmm. and, and taking equity out uh, as, as you you know buying one prop turning one property into two or three properties mm-hmm. um, why do you think refinancing is such a um, difficult sort of idea for a lot of new people, new investors to, to wrap their heads around. And how do you, like, how do you approach it when you're talking to somebody yeah. new who's trying to figure out this whole thing of refinancing? It's, it's, it's debt versus leverage, which I, which I mentioned earlier. When you're refinancing, you're not adding debt to the property. You're leveraging the property to go invest in other income-making assets. And what you're also doing is you're recouping your initial investment as well. Remember, you put a 20% down payment and you had closing costs on that property, which you used your own money for. You want to recoup that money back. Put that money back into your pocket or reinvest that out there. And you may reply to me, yes, Alex, but that increased my cost. That's okay, because guess what? All that surplus cash flow is getting taxed away anyways. Why do I want to pay more tax? I want to decrease my net income so that I, I, I minimize the amount of tax I pay and then I want to increase my assets that increase in value because I don't pay tax on those assets until I sell that asset. I don't, I'm in my appreciation years. I want assets that are appreciating value. Once I take that asset off the table through a sales-wise, I'm in, I'm done. I'm out, of, I'm out of the game for that specific asset. I cannot make any more money off that asset. And I have to pay me, I have to pay the real estate agent, I have to pay them money, uh, I have to pay my capital.
capital gains tax on that property. So then I have to do all my payouts, and then what's left is what I what I get to keep. But then I have reinvestment risk, and what do I have to go put that? Now I have to go put that money into something else. Um, why do Why do I want to pay all that money out? I want to keep that money as long as possible in my own pocket, returning, making me more money as I grow 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 my portfolio. And Andrew and I often have these conversations with with our clients. Why are you selling? If you if you ask yeah. me to sell your property, my first question would be why? Why do you want to sell? Yeah. And then you'll give me a reason, and then we can we can we can go back and forth and determine if selling is the right course of action. And there are times that selling is the right course of action. Um, it just depends on if selling is aligned with what your ultimate goals are to achieve. Yeah. But you will always 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 make more money by buying and holding. So anyone out there that is considering Flipping condos by selling them on assignment. Stop. Don't do it. <laughs> Please don't do it. You will make more yeah. money by just holding it on. Just hold on to the property. Please. Yes. Please. Well, I know. You, you and I are 100% on the same page there philosophically. We get calls uh, every single week, sometimes every single day. People saying, I want to sell my condo by assignment. And, you know, the first thing we say, like you said, is why. And the next thing we... You know, most cases we, we, we show them why it's a really bad idea and why they want to actually hold those properties, especially if they bought, you know, four, three, four or five years ago. Like, it's crazy to think about selling that asset that you've, you've made a great decision yeah. years ago. Why would you negate that decision today by getting rid of this thing? And, Andrew, I think you, you bring up a good point um, because we come across this and we started this, we, we, we started this conversation or part of this conversation was a mortgage is an asset. What people need to start doing now, yes, it is more difficult to get a mortgage. So what do you want to do if you have a closing coming up in the future? Start meeting with your mortgage representatives now. Start talking with your banks now. Mm -hmm. There is always a way to do something. But if you wait up right to the end, yes, you're going to be running into issues. And then you may have to call Andrew or I and we may have to go. We we may have to deal with the situation. They're going to make less money. If if you're prudent and plan, you can put a plan in place to get this, uh, this deal done and you can either speak to Andrew and I and, and we can put you in touch with the right people to do that or maybe everyone people. But if you start now, you can put a plan in place that is going to maximize your value. And it may, it may be you may have to disperse of one of your current assets in order to close that future asset. That's okay because you're, you're transitioning your wealth from one unit to another unit and that other unit is going to have a higher rate of return than the other one which may have a decreasing rate uh, uh, rate of return an older property exactly older so property, yeah but if you wait to the last minute you you limit our abilities to help you out to make more money so you should be having those conversations now but i always tell people when they sign their pre-construction deal your assignment clause is only an exit it is not your profit-making clause. We use that as a, as a means of last resort. It's good that it's in there because if we run into problems, we can use it. We can use it as a parachute. But I want to use that at the, as a last resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a recent report. It was getting a lot of press. I'm sure you heard from a lot of people about it. I'm just curious what your take is on this, uh, the Urbanation report that came out recently about and a lot of people have been quoting it and throwing it around and, and you know, 
giving it as a reason why, you know, condos are a bad investment or the sky is falling or this and that, whatever they might agenda, they might want to be pushing with it. But it's this idea that uh, a, a certain percentage, the report, I think it was like 45% or something like that of condos are cash flow negative um, or something uh, like that. I, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, what are your, I'm sure you, what do you, what do you say to people about that um, particular well, we, again, you, you, I don't know what statistics they're looking at. Uh, I don't know how they're doing the analysis. I don't know the quality of the data set. I'm, I'm grouping in a, a lot of different properties together. There could be, there could, and, and as you know, not every condo is a good investment. Um, Starts with that, yeah. And, <laughs> and so I, I don't know how they have their mortgages in place. What it comes down to when I'm structuring things for my clients and when you're structuring things for your clients and we look at our performers and, and everything like that, um, we can put together a tight package in regards to when it makes viable investment for individuals. Um, depending on your structure, yes, it, it, it can look at like a, a poor investment for, for individuals. Um, so you, you have to sometimes take those things with, with a grain of salt and yeah. peel, peel well, let me, let me, let me, Yeah, I mean, yeah, to put you on the spot here, you don't have the data or anything in front mm-hmm. of you, obviously, but let me put it to you this way, maybe. What percentage of your clients who bought investment condos would you roughly say are cash flow negative? People Zero. People who bought four or five years ago. Zero. Yeah. None. Yeah. Same None. here. Yeah, same so, here. So it just, but when I look at my, my, my yeah, when I do my analysis-wise, that kind of thing, no one is. And, and what people have to realize, too, is rents are increasing as well. And they, they, I got to say, they did incorporate that into their article in regards to what rents have to increase to make these properties cash flow uh, positive. Um, but again, people also are investing for different means, right? Yeah. So if we're always looking at our typical 20% down, down payment. Well, not every condo is bought for investment. Exactly. You're... you're yeah, and like you said, as looking at the, the data set and averages, and you got to be very careful with, you know, when you start throwing around averages and stuff like that, because averages, you're throwing in, like you said, people who are buying all sorts of different properties in all sorts of different areas for all sorts of different reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy who's buying a unit 1,200 square feet, you know, in Yorkville, uh, and he's downsizing or whatever, and he's, you know, it's 1.8 million or something. He doesn't give a crap about what the cash flow is. It's not even, it's not even a consideration in his mind. But if that sale gets lumped in with, with the data set, mm-hmm. you know, as a condo that sold, and this is what it sold for, and this is what it would theoretically rent for, oh, look, there you go, cash flow negative. Well, okay, sure, but when uh, you talk to... And, 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 and it, could, it could also be, so we'll, we'll go to another end of it, wise. People may just want to get, if they're looking at rents and people are looking at, oh, I just wanted to get my unit rented out, so they rented out below market value um, because they just wanted to get someone in there. Then we're looking at a skewed uh, rental value as well. So they're, they're, there's that incoming percentage too. I'll throw something out, else out there, and this is more on a worldwide scale. I was recently at an event talking to someone from London. Um, this individual is a wealth manager and they, they manage over billion dollars worth of uh, personal wealth, corporation wealth. And we started talking about the London, England uh, real estate market and where it's at and obviously got into Brexit and the valuation of the currency and everything. 
It was a very insightful but what it came down to, I started telling this individual what real estate prices were in Toronto. Like, what's, what's the average cost of a one-bedroom? What's the average cost of a two And when I told him those prices, he's like, that's so That is so cheap compared to other areas in the world. And he's had conversations with his clients, which are extremely wealthy individuals, and they're asking, well, where should I put them? They don't want to actually put it in the, the, the London real estate market because it ended up getting overinflated and it's down right now and the returns are, the returns are absolutely horrible in regards to looking at buying property and renting. They, they just, they don't make sense and they're not, they're not looking at increased values anytime soon with Brexit and everything like that. They're losing jobs at In those conversations, he's like, I actually brought up Canada. Canada looks like a great place for us to invest. And I said to him, unfortunately, it's not an area where you can invest because we have 15% foreign buyer tax and, right. and, and negates your ability to invest here when we're looking at returns. Um, but overall, Canada is, is a very attractive place from people looking from the outside in in regards to when they look at the market, they think it's very favorable compared to their, mm -hmm. uh, their own current market. Right, right. Yeah, it's always good. Yeah, exactly. To take everything in perspective as well. Um, we've been doing a lot of work, uh, you and I, together in Hamilton these days. And um, so, yeah, I just thought we might touch on that as well. I mean, Television City, obviously, we've talked a lot about that on, this, on the podcast and videos. And I know you've been talking to your clients about it as well. And we've been, uh, a lot of our clients have taken advantage and jumped into this project. Um, and you personally have bought in the project. I've bought in the project as well. So, for somebody, maybe if people are thinking about Hamilton, um, what would you say, like, why are you investing in, in Hamilton right now? What are you excited about? So, so if, we, if we look at Hamilton, okay, um, and actually I had this conversation this morning with my talk. Okay. Um, when you look at Hamilton, you may first start looking at Toronto going, oh my God, how can people afford to live in Toronto? We have reached a tipping point that people cannot afford to live in Toronto. Again, doesn't mean that prices are going to go down because there is a uh, sector of the population that can afford to live in Toronto. And um, if you want any validation of that, Google some videos on living in San Francisco and, and the real estate market. It's more expensive on rental. <laughs> uh, Spoiler and, alert. And, um, <laughs> but if you're looking at Toronto, there will be a, a certain level of population that can't afford to live in Toronto. That's okay. Where are they going to live? Where is that affordable option for individuals to live? And that's where Hamilton becomes a very attractive uh, purchase point, specifically Television City. Um, what makes Television City attractive is the connectivity it's going to have to the core of the city. It's only a 10-minute walk to the Central Go, Go Train Station in downtown Hamilton, which can connect me to the core of downtown Toronto. I always want connectivity to the core of Toronto. That's, that's always a point that I'm, that I'm going to be looking for. And when I look at Hamilton, Hamilton is a real city. So what I mean by that, Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington, those are suburban commuter cities. Hamilton, when it initially was developed, came up as its own city. It has its own downtown infrastructure. Hamilton has over half a million people. And when we look at commerce and extension-wise, you go Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington, Hamilton, St. Catharines, Niagara, then I hit the U.S. It stops. 
That's the flow of commerce east-west from Toronto out to the U.S. and Hamilton becomes centralized right in the middle. So not only can I commute to Toronto, I can compute, uh, I can commute out, uh, out west, farther west to my St. Catharines, Niagara, and then eventually to the U.S. If I look east-wise at comparable cities, well, then I hit Ajax, Pickering, Oshawa with the Bowmanville, then I Newcastle, then I'm gonna land, 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 land. There's, there, there's, I can, I can just keep on going out east wise, right. and I don't have the population base that I do out on the west side. So when I look at, I have a city that has has an established downtown core. Um, I have connectivity to downtown Toronto. I have such an affordable price point, literally half of what it costs to be in downtown Toronto, and uh, starting at five eighty per square foot. I can go to restaurants and everything like that. The arts and culture scene has come to Hamilton because it's affordable to, to, to live in Hamilton. My, my risk is so low a price going down and my upside is so high. It's hard to get the, that, that uh, low risk, high return in Toronto right now. Again, Toronto's fantastic, it's blue chip. You'll always make money in the long run in Toronto. But I'm looking at something that maybe uh, I can build up uh, a good equity return through appreciation wise with a low down payment where then I can look at reinvesting that in the future uh, in other markets, like playing the Monopoly board, start in Baltic Avenue, move to Park Place, don't start in Park Place. It's a great place for uh, people that are looking to become additional investors um, that can't afford the Toronto market to really examine, examine Hamilton. Hey, and if you go down there, it will still be sketchy. Right. <laughs> but that's where your opportunity is. Yeah. If you're looking for bright, shiny, and new, that means things have already happened. So already our, happened, yeah. our option for appreciation is already gone. If you look at all the outside factors, all the ingredients are there for robust growth in Hamilton. And I've already seen it. I've been investing in Hamilton since 2015 by buying buildings. Um, the only thing about when you buy buildings, there are a lot of work. Uh, they're active income. They're not passive income. Condos are passive income. You buy, you put your money from your, your bank to your real estate bank, like what I like to call it, and you're sitting there on a piece of paper. It goes up in value. You get your condo. You rent it out. Buying a building, you have much more uh, other things you have to worry about. For me, Hamilton becomes a real, real, real no-brainer. Um, but if you're really, really skeptical on Hamilton, you're not going to buy it. But... If you are, if, you, if you're a person who looks like a, a value-based investor-wise, Hamilton is a home run every time. Yeah, yeah. Great summary. Great summary. Okay, there you have it. That was um, a conversation with Alex Wilson. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you got some good stuff from it. And uh, we'll probably have Alex again on the show soon. So uh, I also just want to mention, if you want to get a hold of Alex, his website is just alexjwilson.com. So check him out there. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Once again, if you could leave a review on iTunes or a rating on iTunes for this show, I would really appreciate it. Only takes 30 seconds. Just can do that on your phone right now before you forget. And I really appreciate it. It helps get the word out about the show. Until next time, happy investing. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.